Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Your Booked, the podcast for literary nosy parkers. I'm Daisy Buchanan, your host and the author of The Sisterhood, a love letter to the women who shaped me. For our fifth series of Your Booked, we're in the USA and today we're in Brooklyn, home to Henry Miller, Truman Capote and today's guest, Gabrielle Moss. Gabrielle wrote one of the very best presents I got for Christmas 2018, Paperback Crush, the totally radical history of 80s and 90s teen fiction. It is a thorough, consuming, compelling exploration of its subject. Academic, referential, but giddy with joy. As I swooned over the pages, and she treats the Babysitter's Club with the utmost respect and tenderness, I'm glad to say, a plan formed in my mind. I could go to New York and try to interview Gabby for the podcast. Just imagine her book collection. Well, I no longer need to imagine, and neither do you. We had a wonderful time with Gabby, discovering the finest pulp fiction, letters falling out of loaned books, and Peggy Bundy memorabilia along the way. It's not quite gotten to the point of being a hoarder yet, but I'm like, could it go that way over the next 20 <laughs> well, years? before we get to the books, and obviously yeah. the books are over here, I want to ask you about your Hello Kitty toaster, <laughs> because I've wanted one of those my whole life, and I didn't, I wasn't even sure they existed. Oh, yeah, I, um... I mean, my only answer for why I own a Hello Kitty toaster is uh, I'm terrible with money. I don't know how to um, how to not buy something that just looks fun. Uh, and supposedly the Hello Kitty toaster is supposed to imprint Hello Kitty's face on your toast. Oh, wow. But you do have to set it to the nearly burnt setting to get that effect. If you want a reasonable piece of toast, it's not going to. Aesthetics over tastiness. Yeah. <laughs> you know, honestly, I wouldn't trust anyone who was in a position to buy one of those. And didn't do it. So I think you did the right thing. Um, I want to ask you about this book, which is the first thing I saw when I came in. You have Margot Tenenbaum's book. May I, may yes. I take it down? So I is this... Um... It's, it's uh, inside. It is not uh, Margot Tenenbaum's Ooh. book. Inside, it's the Modern Library, the 200 best novels in English since 1950, which sounds like a really great book. So the story of why I have that, I also have, uh, you can see this fake uh, Eli Cash book also from Royal oh. Tenenbaums. And the answer to that is that, and I, I don't sound like a good person in this story, um, I used to work <laughs> in book publishing. I used to be uh, an editor at Penguin over a decade ago. And uh, they'd have these very wild Halloween parties where people would decorate um, their, their little departmental area around a theme. And then uh, after that... Everyone in the company would drink very, very, very much uh, at like 2 p.m. And um, one year I had drank very, very much at 3 p.m. And I just picked this book up and walked out with it. Again, if the opportunity <laughs> is there, how could you not? It's a long-term loan. <laughs> it's a work bonus. This uh, heavy drinking Halloween party is also why I have a plastic uh, lawn deer in the kitchen that uh, my husband and I have adopted as our child. Did you just pick that up and look at it? I mean, there, there's a reason publishing's falling apart. Uh, <laughs> it's because all this stuff is here. Does the lawn deer have a name? Uh, the deer's name is Deary Lou. Deary Lou, and it's Deary Lou's birthday because we are recording. It is Deary Lou's Halloween. birthday. Happy birthday, Deary Lou. Oh, and on the Halloween theme, you have prominent American ghosts <laughs> by Susie Smith. A fascinating investigation of the tales and legends surrounding famous and not-so-famous American haunts and hauntings. Oh, is that the Susie Smith? Oh, there is a the Susie Smith? I thought she was quite a well-known, like, gossip columnist. But oh, maybe. She has been a reporter on a small-town weekly newspaper, a columnist of the Salt Lake Tribune, and a publisher of her own buyer's guide, Shopping with Susie. 
the story with prominent American ghosts and also a lot of the books here is um, that I collect and also at this point people just give me um, books with funny covers, interesting titles. Uh, it's my sort of uh, years ago I started kind of developing uh, a passion for these which led into eventually uh, Paperback Crush just kind of picking up things because I thought they they were enter entertaining looking and obviously it became much more but um, on my bookshelf I have arranged a lot of the um, the finds that I am the most proud of. And do you like spooky stories? Do you like? Oh, and scared? I love spooky. This was a gift. Prominent American Ghost was a gift, and uh, it was a gift because it was about ghosts. But I just thought the the title was so funny. Like you know, you think of a prominent businessman, not a prominent ghost. <laughs> Imagine the lesser known ghost being quite offended. Like, Excuse me. I think you'll find I was at a haunting in 1972, and again in 1979. Everyone's blowing them off, and it's very sad. <laughs> On the spooky theme, because, if, you know, what we've been walking through. I love how people really go for it here with, like, you know, window dressing and decorations. And, I know. I hear, I hear um, it's not as much of a thing in the UK. Right? No, it's, it's becoming more of a thing, for sure. But it's, uh, you know, compared with, like, oh, Halloween's really taking over. Then you get here and, like, oh, we've got a long way to go. <laughs> um, do you have any point of horror? I know I really enjoyed the point horror part in, um, in Paperback Crush. I do have point horror. So my Paperback Crush books, um, I don't know if I should drag them out here. So they are in, there are about 200 of them, and they are just in cardboard boxes in my study. Um, they became too much for me to manage. Per so these are the boxes. Uh, I can take them out into the hall. Um, they're eventually going to be part of the New York University archive because oh, it's just too much for me to handle personally. Oh my god, that's so cool! But so, me... is that is it going to be like your curation? Yeah, it's just going to be all the books that were used in Paperback Crush, and then that's anyone can awesome. come look at them. So, let me drag a few. Let me drag a few of these boxes out here, and we can. Oh wow! But they're they're all in look here. At this, these. I, the, I do not know The Trouble with Wednesdays by Laura Nathanson, but that is that, that illustration on the front of, I don't know who that girl is supposed to be. Is she in like a Planned Parenthood? Oh no, she's getting a toothbrush. She's getting her toothbrush. That's actually a very depressing um, uh, problem novel, educational novel about um, she's being um, molested by her dentist. Oh my God. Yeah, oh. yeah. So, you know, so many, they're sort of... I put them in these boxes really nearly. Do you think Margaret Chatwood read this? Because that happens in the Testaments. Wait, really? <sighs> Sorry, favourite uh, point horror. Favourite point horror. Um, what are these? These are, these are not point horror. These are Fear Street. Uh, R.L. Stein's. So Fear Street is the like the lesser known franchise compared with Goosebumps. I would say Goosebumps I, is more successful. Fear mm. Street came first. I'm sure Fear Street did very well. Fear Street did well, but I mean Goosebumps was... Um, I interviewed R.L. a year or two ago and Fear Street was... I think good for him. Goosebumps was the thing that like changed his life completely. Because am I right in thinking that he? I think I've read interviews where it sounds like his relationship with Goosebumps is quite complicated. That I think he's a bit freaked out by the intense Goosebumps fandom, or is I he mean, just a bit more wry about it? I think he's just. Uh, I got the impression that he was wry about about almost everything. That <laughs> um, you know, I think anyone probably has a complicated relationship with their. The thing that made them super famous. A problem I hope to someday deal with. <laughs> I am certain that's going to be the case. Can we ask you about your new book? Sure. Uh, sure. Oh, it's just um, for the listener. Uh, my new book is currently in the form of just a series of post-it notes uh, stuck upon three different uh, poster boards. It's very exciting because I can see it. They're the neatest post-its I've ever seen, both in handwriting and in the way they are placed on the board. Well, thank you. It's very polite. I have felt, uh, when I've been setting these up over the past few months, I feel like I'm just like a person when they make the, the, the murder boards on TV <laughs> with the, the threads going to this, the threads going oh, to like that. like Charlie and it's always yeah, sunny, that I, gift. Where he's yeah, this, is my, this is my Pepe Silva board. <laughs> um, but uh, the book I'm working on now is... Um, uh, a memoir about my relationship with my mother, which is pretty bad, but I'm hoping the book is funny, so we'll see. Is your mum, she a reader? Uh, did you have a lot of books growing up? Interestingly, uh, I did not have a lot of... I had a lot of, uh, you know, children's books and picture books. We didn't have a house full of 
books. Uh, if I think back on our bookshelves when I was a kid, we mostly had we had some of my mom's trendy books from the seventies. Have you ever heard of a book called Fear of Flying? By, yes. You know, very trendy books my mother had had while she was a single girl in her sev- in the 70s. My Secret God. Yeah, right. yeah, all of those things. Um, and then a series of um, Time Life Home Improvement books. These were uh, American books about how to do repairs on, like, your bathroom. So these are the ones where you get, like, a library and it's, yes. like, four of 17 hammers. Yes, you, you buy it. Uh, back back then you bought it from calling an 800 number and then it would just, you know, all these instructions for um, fixing your own pipes that people would then get the books and be like, I can't do this. <laughs> um, but I was very, um, once I learned to read, I was very interested in reading. And so I did read all of those uh, Time Life books. And so I think I can repair a sink even though I can't. Well, I I trust you to do it. I think you'd be a <laughs> That'd be great a, plumber. You're a nice person, but you make foolish choices. <laughs> <laughs> I do live in a very leaky house. I meet loads of people who I think would be good plumbers always goes wrong for me um did you read fear of flying i did end up reading fear of flying so um when i was uh very little um you know i went to um like a like a hippie preschool in kindergarten where you just played with blocks and no one bothered uh trying to make you learn anything so whereabouts was this did you grow up around here in new york or? i grew up in connecticut i grew up in suburban connecticut and um near stony brook <laughs> I think theoretically near Stony Brook. It took me a long time to figure out that Stony Brook was not real. <laughs> uh, but I think I grew up probably not super far from the the concept of Stony Brook. I didn't know how to read when I started uh, in our public school system in the first grade. And I uh, sort of taught myself how in like a rage because I was so so mad that people <laughs> thought I was stupid for not being able to read. So I just took all these workbooks home with me and I would just be like filling them out all angry and like six years old. And then after that, I got very into reading and yeah, read every book in our house, including uh, Fear of Flying. Who, who knows what damage that did? Did you did you get it? Did you did it introduce you to new things or did a lot of it just go over your head? Like, I think a lot of well, it. Was... Is that like a small animal? <laughs> I think almost all of it went over my head and I was just like, wow, being an adult is exciting. <laughs> Turns out it's not. Because, <laughs> you know, other than all, you know, all the sex, all the zipless fucks, she does a lot of travel. I know. She has really good fights with her husband, very sort of adult arguments. It was it was a level of adulthood that still seems a thousand years. I, I mean, even like she's taking baths all the time. I'm like, where do you have this nice apartment <laughs> with a beautiful bathtub? Like, were things that different in the 70s? Um, I've just spotted a book on your shelf and I suspect it comes under that, you know, things yes. that someone has seen and has thought like, Gabby will love this. Clairvoyance in women looks great. Yes. And I feel like we're in a time now and that's all kind of coming back in a big way. It's got very... It is. Yeah. Everyone, I mean, we're very, we're having a very 70s moment, I think, with the astrology and the tarot cards. Before you came here... Endemic was... sexism and racism. Endemic sexism and racism. Everything old is new again. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, clairvoyance in women was a was a gift um, from my my best friend who is responsible for a number of uh, of my finds here. She she knows what I'm looking for in a in a showpiece book very well. <laughs> if we were to have a sort of Halloween séance right now, you know, we're going to get a Ouija board and sort of summon some authors who are no longer with us. Who would you like to call up, and what would you ask them? Oh my God, I feel like I know who I would call up, but then not who I would, I feel like it would just be an awkward party where everyone's standing around (laughs) afterwards. Like, so, so you're Shakespeare, William? (laughs) Who would you get in touch with? I mean, I feel almost like even the big, the big gets, your Shakespeare's, your Dorothy Parker's, I'm like, there are too many demands on their time, I'm not going to be able to get in there. I mean, if we had a seance right now, I don't know, Lois Duncan? (laughs) Oh, Remind me. Um, she is. I know what you did last summer. Ah. Uh, a, um, a lot of a lot of teen thriller books from the sixties and seventies that were turned into not very great teen movies in the nineties. Um, I read a bunch of her books for uh, Paperback Crush, and it, it turns out they are so much better than um, than how they're perceived in the culture. I remember now in reading it, thinking, this, this is dark. This is quite disturbing stuff. Yeah, she uh, she had such an interesting career. She she had been writing kind of, I don't want to call them Sufi romance novels, but she had been, she'd been writing much lighter fare for teens and then 
kind of just had a, a brainwave that she wanted to write this incredibly uh, dark novel called Ransom, and her publishers were so opposed and thought it was horrific, and instead it was a huge hit, and she kind of created the world of the teen thriller in doing that. I was getting a mix of Lois Lowry. It's oh. very different. And, and very much alive, I think, slash oh, her. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. This, I remember this from, um, this is Lois, Lois Duncan. Duncan. Yes. Right, so... Remind me, this is a, a true life this book. This is a true life book. So uh, Lois Duncan, after, towards the tail end of her career, her daughter was uh, very tragically murdered in a crime that remains essentially unsolved to this day. And um, this is one of uh, Duncan's last books. She sort of retired from writing after her uh, daughter's death. And uh, if you if you read Who Killed My Daughter, you'll see that she seems to almost blame herself for having written about all this darkness for so many years as if it was her fault for bringing that into her her family's life oh my god i mean it's, it's such a because this book was huge yeah right it really but i guess again true crime something that we still love and but i mean i all i can say to anyone listening is if you've not read um gabby's brilliant brilliant book the detail and it's really just a the facts around this book and how it came into be and Lois Duncan's career is so chilling and so compelling. Yeah. I really, I, bit, I might have put this down because I feel a bit, <laughs> I don't really like holding it. It's a bit. Oh, I've just seen that I Want My MTV book. I think that might be one of producer Dale's favourite books. Mm. Is that the oral history one? Have you yes. read that? That is one of my favourites. That book is pure delight. So many... So many stories about Duran Duran being off their heads on cocaine on a yacht. <laughs> Toto. Oh my God, Toto. No, they had, no wonder they only had two songs. <laughs> the amount so of, of bad behavior going on in that book that everyone's just happy and free to admit to it. It was amazing. Well, I love like throughout, it's just everyone constantly contradicting each other and saying, <laughs> no, it was nothing like that. But the, you know, the cocaine and Duran Duran and Toto, that's the one thing that like, no one challenges that. <laughs> I got so into reading that book that afterwards I was like, I want to read uh, John Taylor from Duran Duran's memoir because like there must be so much more. But I found that it wasn't as satisfying to me as just all these different voices of all these different people screaming like cocaine, excess, yachts. We wanted to go on a yacht. <laughs> and then we had to had to find a way to justify it. So we made the Rio video. <laughs> Did you read that book, Daisy Jones and the Six? I've not read it yet. So another uh, feature of my home, because I worked in book publishing, and then after that at a website where we got a lot of review copies, is I have about 100 unread books in my study. Daisy Jones is one of them. Uh, they're what is on a big piles like tumors all over my floor in here. So what do you think, what's the first thing you'd like to wrestle from that pile? If I gave you like a week... You know, if I said, you, I'm going to stop time. Everyone else is just like this. Gabby, you get a week to read anything you want from that pile. What would you go for first? Oh, my God. Um, the first thing I would like to pull out of that pile, and I'm, I'm afraid we're making this a little too halloween theme, but the, the truth is that I'm a, I'm a dark, icky person. Um, <laughs> there is a memoir uh, called Member of the Family by Diane Lake. Um, she was someone who was a member of the Manson family oh, wow. uh, as a 13-year-old girl. Oh and um, I've not been able to find the time to read it since I picked it up last year, but I am very, very eager to. And if all my responsibility is stopped, I would love to just sit down and read that one. What's that bit? That looks a bit Manson-y. Um, oh, Ladies no. of Pop and Rock. It's just, it's the hair. You know, it's the very shiny, very flat, dark hair. We think of that as Manson hair, but I think that was everyone's hair in the in the 60s and 70s. He's just the sadly enduring example. Yeah, it was just during the murder period that yeah. was the look. Janice Ian's feelings about parents, school and music. Read about Tina Turner and how she copes with her husband. Oh, yeah. That's quite gently euphemistic. <laughs> Discover what makes Cass Elliot of the famed Mummers and Poppers tick. I feel sad that they had to explain who Cass Elliot is. <laughs> I mean, this is one of the great things about collecting these kind of historical books that didn't stand the test of time is just finding out stuff like that, finding out how these things were viewed at the time that, you know, Cass Elliot, who I think we would all instantly recognize now, you'd be like, which one is she? Which band is she in? There's a version of Otis Redding's Respect, which is a knockout. 
the sexuality is strident, abrasive, liberated as she, Tina Turner, growls to the audience, I'm going to speak tonight for us women. We hardly ever get what we want. Ain't that right, girls? We shout back, yes, Tina, right on. (laughs) Uh, So dark in context. (laughs) And I think we've had other guests who've got this book, The Gigi Boone Diary, but that is a beautiful edition. Yes, you know, it's... um... Have you ever met her? I've never met her. I, um, I've always wanted to go to the bookstore she runs in Florida, but I have not uh, been able, basically, I've not been able to uh, convince my husband to organize a vacation around that yet. Um, but I bought this off eBay, and there is, it was partially filled in by uh, oh. a girl. My name is Jessica. Please call me Jessica. I like cheerleading math, boys. <laughs> I hate Anne Lavin. Jury Weinstein and dissecting. <laughs> this year at school, I plan to get good grades. Oh, and then Anne Levin, Jane Weinstein. If you know what you did to Jessica, please get in touch and tell us. And she and that she Why didn't did go any further in this diary. So whatever they did to her was was real bad. Through her, of course. Maybe, maybe she killed her. <laughs> Spooky. <laughs> uh, shall we go in the study? Is that okay? And oh yeah, sure. In there. Oh, maybe before we go, mm-hmm. this is another fabulous display book. I don't know if you've actually read it. I've just seen mm-hmm. Ladies' Own Erotica. Ah, that is another gift oh, uh, given to me. I, I oh, never. Oh wow. Yeah, yeah. Oh my. Oh, look at this. <laughs> this is a fabulous part. So we have Ladies' Own Erotica, the irresistible bestseller by the Kensington Ladies Erotica Society. <laughs> oh my God. It's um. I don't know where this is published. Uh, Kensington, I'm sure you know, is a very upmarket area of southwest London. But here, it's amazing how it's sort of a, you had like a shorthand. But like, um, we were in a bar and they had Mr. Kensington tomato ketchup. Like, clearly it's a fancy, elegant ketchup Kensington. Um, I mean, that's so much of everything from the UK here, you know, just we just you throw the name of a of a UK place on, on the front of something. And that's how you know it's supposed to be classic. <laughs> We have um, Xavier Goes Wild by Xavier Hollander, All New Adventures of the Happy Hooker. I've seen loads of references to the Happy Hooker, but never really known what this was. It was a huge memoir in the 70s, and obviously she wrote several sequels of uh, by this woman who was a, a sex worker, and it was kind of part of the... When the, when the sexual revolution went kind of mainstream and got into mainstream book publishing, her book was one of the first, you know, U-tips. Would you like to read this paragraph or shall I? Starting with... Uh, Andreas' eyes opened. <laughs> Andreas' eyes opened. And I'll swear that his prick rose in time to his eyelids. In a flash, it stirred from a sleep boner to a big, hard, fuck-ready erection. <laughs> I went down on him, gobbling deep and wet tightening my lips around an enlarged head. <laughs> ah, I'm, I'm, I may, maybe just discovered some shame I didn't know I had. I, that is as far as I can go with I, this paragraph. I can see why that was so successful. It was, it was very, very successful. Here we have um, Sherry Height, the other end of the scale. Sexual Honesty by Women for Women. Written anonymously by women, 14 to 64, in response to a nationwide questionnaire on their sexuality. So is this the Height Report or is this a this is book one, of it? one of the many uh, books spun off from the Height Report, which was so successful. They were like, let's milk it for all. You know, it's like when a book's popular and they're like, here's the workbook version. Here's the quote a day version. <laughs> so this is kind of the uh, Again, quote a day version where she's just using raw answers uh, from the Height Report and just turning them turn them into so a film kind book. of the three women of its day i guess it really was i had not thought of that but yeah every everything is circular everything comes back around astrology all of it and saving the best for last and this is um i believe it's an urdu edition of sweet valley high um many 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 years ago my first uh job out of college was working at the literary agency that handled sweet valley high and uh, this was this was one of one of the perks of working there was that you could take home uh, unclaimed foreign foreign rights copies. So I have this. Oh, what? So do you know whether they were translated or if they're completely separate stories that were written for that market? Oh, I believe they're they're translated. Uh, I believe they're translated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Robert, did you ever write any Sweet Valley High books? No, no. Did you ever have a go? Did you ever fancy it? 
Oh, I, I mean, I think who wouldn't want to write a Sweet Valley High book? Are they, are they still being published? They're not. Um, they're republishing some of the old ones. The interesting thing about that is they started republishing a lot of uh, books from the '90s, as um, you know, women of our generation have um, kids and want to foist these books on them. Uh, but uh, the Babysitters Club republish has been very successful, and the Sweet Valley High much less so. Oh, that's really interesting. Why do you think that is? I mean, I think there's sort of. Um, a warmth to the Babysitter's Club and, you know, ev- the way they republish these books will usually be to take out outdated references. You know, now people have cell phones and whatnot. Um, but I do think there's a real... That it's not Claudia's phone anymore. It's a WhatsApp group. <laughs> I mean, yeah, oh, the whole premise is ruined. <laughs> yeah, I suppose they wouldn't have to meet it. I mean, they'd have to admit that they were meeting just because they love each other. Uh, emotional and honesty. The snacks. And the snacks. Um, but yeah, Sweet Valley High has not uh, had the same success in being repackaged. I think it's very 80s, very um, Re- Reagan era mm. kind of g- gimme gimme kind of stuff. That Fiat Spider, the Lavalier necklace. I yeah. never, I, mean, I think I saw like a Lavalier pendant on a website quite recently. I'm like, That's what that is. <laughs> I do wonder whether the Sweet uh, the Babysitter's Club, rather, it's such a sort of middle grade universe. Like, if I had 10 year old kids, or, like, or younger kids, to be honest, I'd be like, well, this is fine for you. It, you know, it's they're sort of, these girls are like 12 or 13, but it's, it's a very safe universe. I don't know. I feel like Sweet Valley is a universe that you have to kind of discover independently and you don't want, you wouldn't, hey, children, meet Bruce Patton and Lila Fowler, (laughs) they're the worst. I mean, it does seem like you have to discover Sweet Valley high on your own because it's so, you know, it was the the gossip girl of its day, so superficial and wild. Is that the... We've just found. Oh, yeah, that's the same one. Ah, so this was my all night long. two different copies of All Night Long. The other one is uh, on two cassette tapes, I believe, books on tape. So who, what happens in All Night Long? Can you remember? Uh, I believe Jessica goes out to a beach party with some guy, some older guy um, based on these say, covers. He's supposed, be? supposed to be in college, but look at that mustache. Of, he looks like Freddie Mercury. He looks exactly like Freddie Mercury. So Jessica goes to a beach party with a guy who looks exactly like Freddie Mercury in like his mid-30s, but he's supposedly a college guy. And um, then I believe... This is all in memory. I believe they almost have sex and then she like slaps him in the face and runs away or something. He's much more experienced than anyone Jessica's ever dated. Someone who isn't about to take no for an answer. Elizabeth is afraid of what might happen to her sister. Has she gone too far? Why has she Jessica stayed out all night long? Is she as grown up as she thinks she is? <gasps> and the best thing is on the back there is a sweepstakes promotion. Grand prize, a trip for three to New York. So presumably that's your best friend and your mother. Um, to meet Francine Pascal, see a Broadway play and participate in a Sweet Valley High recording session. Do you think anyone ever claimed that prize? Can we enter? The three of us could go. <gasps> I, th- I, I assume that someone has claimed all of these. In the back of all of these uh, Sweet Valley High things, one of the most pleasurable things about going through the old ones is all the coupons for the contests. And they're, they're always bizarre offerings like that. Like a Broadway show? What, what does that have to do with Sweet Valley High? <laughs> but... Oh, but there should be a Sweet Valley High musical. We're copywriting that idea right now. Don't well, steal it from us. It is ours. We can write the book. Can you make up songs? We can do the lyrics. Oh, sure, sure, sure we can. <laughs> oh, Nice Girls Don't by Caroline B. Cooney. I remember, I'm sure, at um, my school, there were loads of um, Caroline B. Cooney books. I don't know where they came from, but they were... She wrote, um, her big hit uh, came a few years after this. It was called The Face on the Milk Carton. Oh, yeah. Which was about um, child abductions, which everyone was very worried about, uh, at least in the U.S. in the 80s and 90s. I don't know if it was as big a public obsession in the U.K. Well, in the U.K. at that time, for the most part, our milk came in bottles and they got delivered, so there wasn't really anywhere to put the missing kids. So So maybe they were like, oh, we can't really abduct children because it's not fair. There's no way for the parents to contact them. You guys were like, milk carton? How could? What are you talking about? Uh, But prior to that, she had written a lot of um, series books uh, for romances and horror lines mystery lines and so uh this is from wildfire which is one of the earliest uh 80s teen lines and this is a a very well written uh romance novel about some high schoolers i'm looking at this i'm like what is this there's a card in there there's a card oh my god there is a card who it's sealed what the hell is this is this a 
another thrilling mystery. What on earth could this be? It's a milk carton. Thank you. Thank you so much for... Oh my god! I lent this book to a library in Oregon, and they mailed them back to oh. me. They, they were doing a display to... This, this made me feel old. They were doing a display to teach children about the books of the 80s and 90s as if they were antique artifacts. So they put these books next to um, landline phones <laughs> and um, a, a Cindy Lauper album, I believe, and like um, a Caboodles makeup carrier. Uh, so this is a thank you note from one of the librarians that I found about a year after the fact. So thank you. Thank you for this nice note. So does that come up a lot? Do you do lots of work with libraries and kind of academic archives? I haven't done a lot yet, but what I've done, I've enjoyed. I've uh, spoken at one library conference and librarians are, you know, obviously uh, the most passionate about this stuff, especially um, librarians in their 30s and 40s who often also became readers on, on the same books that I did and the same books that are covered in Paperback Crush. So it's always... Uh, very exciting to talk to them. So, there's this as well for that with the envelope. What on earth? It's a check. It does look like a check. Oh my god, it's a check for ten dollars to cover oh. the shipping. Oh, that's so sweet. So that's a library in Oregon. This oh. is a library in Hillsboro, Oregon. Oh my goodness, I, are checks even still good after this long? Maybe not. <laughs> but uh, thank you, thank you, librarians of Hillsboro, Oregon Public Library. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Now it's time for my steal of the week. Only this week it is hard to steal because it is enormous, heavy and very difficult to stuff up a jumper. It's Bill Cunningham on the street, published by Clarkson Potter. Bill Cunningham was a legendary street style photographer. He documented every decade from the 70s onwards, capturing its essence, energy and glamour until his death in 2016. The 2010 documentary Bill Cunningham, New York is one of my favourite films. He wasn't a typical fashion photographer. He was a quiet, industrious man, known for his blue overalls and his bicycle. He bore witness to the fabulous while choosing to remain outside the world he portrayed. He was loved by everyone he worked with, and this book is a beautiful testament to his legacy. It's the loveliest thing to look at if you have even a passing interest in style or social history. That's Bill Cunningham on the street. Now, back to Gabrielle. Shall we? Um, I keep seeing more like exciting books in that <laughs> box. But let's go to the study because I keep trying to. And then just finding other things. This is just so dense. It's like such a rich space. Of, it's too much. I wanna, it's too much. What okay. are these books? So I feel like... I, I what need... are these books here? So the situation study? here... Um, so many of these books are unread. This is kind of my half unread bookshelf. So like that I pick up their paperback crush. Have you read that? <laughs> I've not. I've heard it's good. I'm getting around to it. Um, but so since this is my desk where I write, um, this shelf, uh, up top is mostly my favorite books, things I can imagine pulling down when I'm feeling stuck or want to feel something. I see uh, a lot of Jane Didion up there. Yes, yes. I'm a very big Didion fan, which is, I feel like, a cliche for a woman in her 30s living in New York, but I am. <laughs> white woman. <laughs> yes, super white woman. Um, paperback Crush is just up there for when I need to, like, 
do an interview. It is not one of my favorite books. We read it every night. What do you have a favorite um, Jane Didion book? When did you start reading her? How did you meet her? I started reading Joan Didion um, when I was a teenager. I used to take. Um, I thought I was very fancy because I took intro to writing classes at the at the college near me. And uh, in that class, uh, we were given some essays from Slouching Towards Bethlehem. And so that was how I found out about Joan Didion, who I thought was my special secret until I moved to New York as an adult. Well, and other people have heard of her? What? And found out she was one of the most popular writers of our, yeah. our century. Um, and... I have two copies of Slouching Towards Bethlehem because when I was a very pretentious 23-year-old, I cut out and framed a page from uh, her essay, Goodbye to All That. And then when I came back to it a few years ago, I thought, there is a page missing in this book. So. <laughs> What's that um, Shirley Jackson? I'm delighted that I can't see what that Shirley Jackson book is because it's obscured by... Simpson figurines. I am also, this is sort of all of my passions. I'm a passionate fan of early Simpsons. I'm not going to co-sign the last 15 years or so, but, um, and also um, some I think you figurines. might be like Brooklyn me. <laughs> <laughs> I love all the same things. So um, the Shirley Jackson books I have here are The Haunting of Hill House and We Have Always Lived in the Castle. My chaotic system here is books I haven't read are on their side. Books I have read are upright. Oh, that's so, a good idea. So these are some other Shirley Jackson books I have picked up and not read yet. And then a big uh, biography of her. And I thought I would just read them all in one go. But I have not had that moment yet. Do you, I've just seen um, Jane Didion biography down there as yes. well. The Last Love Song. Do you, what's, do you have a favorite biography? So this is my biography and memoir shelf. Uh, let's see, what is the best one of these? God, my favorite of all of these, I mean, uh, this is one of the, the greatest oh books my of God, all time. Oh I just saw that and I'm so happy you picked it up. <laughs> the Journalist and the Murderer by Janet Malcolm uh, is a book that I picked up just because I am a a mass market true crime uh, goofball and then it turned out to be one of the best books I've ever read in my life and it's um, an amazing I feel so pretentious saying meditation uh, but it is kind of a meditation on you know what it means to be a writer what it means to tell stories to tell someone else's oh, story. So what is it a story of? Is it a journalist covering a murder? Yeah so Janet Malcolm was a writer for the New Yorker and so she is covering this is almost like you know, two steps removed. So there was a guy who was accused of murder named Jeffrey McDonald and a writer named Joe McGinnis who had contracted with him to write a book about his life. And uh, when the book came out, it turned out it was very unsympathetic. Obviously, the guy was a murderer. But um, Jeffrey McDonald sued Joe McGinnis and said that Joe McGinnis had, you know, lied to him about his intentions. And then Janet Malcolm kind of takes apart the entire thing, oh. sort of not not saying that uh, misleading someone in writing is equivalent to murder, but just what what are all the moral things going mm. on here? Um, so it is. That sounds great. It's a fantastic, fantastic. It's a really fantastic book. Actually, a few of my faves are over here. Um, let's see, we have Girl Interrupted, which I was rereading recently, uh, which is a great book. Um, made into a so-so Winona Ryder movie in the 90s. But it is a, a fantastic uh, book about a woman who is uh, in a mental health facility kind of around the peak of the 60s. So sort of while the, the world is going on outside, she is sort of trapped in here and kind of looking in internally. Um, I've not read um, Party Monster, but oh. I love, one of the books that comes up all the time on the podcast is um, what I love by Siri Hissett, which is like the sort of fictionalized version of that story. Kind that of. is a fictionalized version of that story? Not entirely, but because I think this is right. I think that um, her, maybe her son or her stepdad, someone involved in her life was involved with um, Michael Ehrlich and James St. James. So the party monster story kind of runs through the main narrative of what I loved. Oh my God, I did not know that at all. I feel so lowbrow that I'm like, that's my motivation to finally read it. Well, no, because I was like, oh, God, what I love. This is going to be like a dry book about someone looking at a painting. Well, I know this is cracking. Oh, but um, I am a, a great fan of um, Party Monster, I think. Uh, James St. James is an excellent writer, in addition to having been someone who 
accidentally got a first-hand look at a very troubling crime. So does that cover that kind of like the world that they're in, sort of, you know, down to tear? Is, oh, yeah. Is that how, what's the party to monster ratio? Uh, heavy party to monster ratio, I'd say it is three quarters party, only one quarter monster. Great. Sold. <laughs> See, another reason that this is, I'm so ah, oh. chaotic here. Um, so since I'm sorry, <laughs> since I'm writing, Just, you can't see this, listeners. But Gabby is throwing all her books at me and like get in my out. eyes. I'm uh, bleeding. Um, so because I am working on a memoir, I pulled a lot of my favorite memoirs onto this rolly cart, which is covered oh. in random inspirational items. So we do have we do have the Cat Marnell book. Here, I feel like this is horrible and let, letting someone into my immensely troubled mind. Uh, but I love, I love the Cat Marnell book. Oh, I've never seen that cover. Yeah. It came out in a different way. They, in the they, UK. Re, they redid the cover, I think, to make it, I don't know, seem a little more glamorous. Even though I'm like, this is, a, it has a picture of Cat Marnell in a long evening gown. It's, I would say a very inaccurate representation of what is in the book. <laughs> I think she's in um, UK Grazia. She did an interview oh. and she's talking about how she recently tried to bleach her hair. Or maybe it was a while ago, but it, she put on like a house bleach and baking soda and, and then burnt. got high and forgot about it. And it's not grown back. Yeah, I had been reading that she had, uh, I'd been reading interviews with her where she said she had burned her uh, scalp as she was, I follow Kat Marnell quite closely. Uh, she had been wearing wigs, you know, sort of very uh, uh, outlandish wigs over the past few years. I hope, I hope not years. I hope it started growing back. Yeah. But... but, you know, at the time of the, I think that interview was pretty recent. So, you know, Kat Marnell, if you're listening, we love you. We, we hope you have. I'm, I'm, Hands up. I'm, I'm pulling for you. Something I loved about that book as well is that how she is so in the addiction still. It's not a book where she's like, oh, it was terrible and, you know, no one talks to me anymore and I burned all the houses down. But then I did some yoga <laughs> and now I'm fine. It's uh, her demons are home still. That is a thing I loved about this. So a lot of these books that I have pulled, I've pulled a bunch of books for various reasons to kind of consult while I'm working on this book. But one of the things I loved about this is how it's still incomplete. Um, I don't, not that this is a, not that this is a podcast for ripping on books, but um, the book The Glass Castle by Jeanette Walls is a book. Um, it's um it was a, this woman had a sort of very troubled childhood, totally messed up, dysfunctional, terrible parents. And um, on the last two pages, she's just like, but it's fine now. And I was like, I hate this. You made me hate this book. Now I hate this. And you also, you just know as well that an editor has come and said, it's a little bleak. Can you just cheer us all up at the end? Love? Yeah, it just ends with her being like, oh, you know, then my dad, you know, gave me a winter coat. Let me know he was sorry. Like, and I was like, you know, my, my childhood was not one twentieth of this. And I can tell you that's not how it works. How is it reading memoirs while writing one? Is it, do you find that there are other people who have such strong voices that it is quite distracting? Or do you find it quite inspiring to know that these details are sort of worthy of writing? I feel that almost, I'm reading a lot of memoirs now while I'm working on this, and I feel like I'm almost even just reading them to double check that I know how memoirs go. <laughs> um, you know, I think it's, I, I like seeing how everyone does it differently, but I'm also, like, taking notes, like, ah, oh, so you tell the story all in one order, I see. <laughs> like, fla flashbacks, annoying. Let's cut them out. I think having written two books that are sort of part memoir, one more than the other, I love that, like, oh, there's no, no one can say, like, oh, you know, your plot's not really working here, <laughs> these characters are unconvinced, because it's all real! I just have to describe a thing that happened. But that is what is, I mean, maybe maybe you have uh, advice you can give me after we finish recording. There, there are so many of, um, so we have three, this is when it turns into Pepe Silva, when I take them all apart. Oh, wow. So I have thought, hey, it's my life. It can't be that hard to figure out the plot, right? And it turned out it was. And so then I went through um, about 20 years of my diaries to try to figure out everything that had happened in my uh, relationship with my family. And so I thought that, you know, actually writing, you think you know the narrative of your own life, but you actually, I, I found it very challenging. Oh, gosh. Have you always kept a diary? Are you good at kind of journaling? And I am. I mean, I've, it's always, 
it had always just felt like a self-indulgence, so it's great to find it actually being a resource now, although um, I don't know that I recommend that anyone read their diaries from when they were 18 or 19. It's a little, a little bit of an unpleasant experience. Do you have any favorite diary books? Oh, books that are other other people's diaries? Yeah, like Adrian Mole or Go Ask Alice. Oh my god, I love Adrian Mole. I I also I love Go Ask Alice from like a comedy perspective. It's it's real unintentional comedy. Because that's another thing I loved in Paperback Crush, and it's almost like it's kind of Victorian, isn't it? This you know the dissembling and like we found this true life diary somewhere. It's very um, edited. The sentence is very full. There's no like. Oh, like cafeteria lunch was terrible today, but like this is all the stuff that happened. I know, especially reading my own high school diaries now, thinking back on Go Ask Alice, I'm like, I would have three pages about like this zip that I thought was going to be the end of my life, but then (laughs) nothing about actual activities or people I knew. Like, I'm like, this diary is so inaccurate in the way that she has a great grasp of narrative. (laughs) What was the most boring entry you found in your own? Was it zip-based? Oh, man, they're all boring. <laughs> um, you know, just when you read them all back to back, you're like, oh, being a being a human being is quite repetitive in ways we might not be aware of. You know, you have the same problems for a decade, and they, they feel new every time they flare up, and you're like, well, I'm going to figure it out this time. I loved and still love very much um, Bridget Jones' diary. And I remember trying to write diaries and failing when I was a teenager because I'm like, I just need to go to some bars to have anything to write about. That's what Bridget does. I could tell in my diaries exactly when I read Bridget Jones' diary because I started referring to things as like, V good, V bad. (laughs) Why am I weighing myself every day and writing it down? That is insane. Yes, I had a few of those and then like... In parenthesis next to it, it'd be like, fatter than Bridget Jones, exclamation point, question mark. Like, I mean, isn't that, that's in Sweet Valley High, all of these weight things, all of these women. And also, why are we constantly being told the weight of female characters? I I don't know that anyone knew. I mean, firstly, I think they must have all been like 12 inches shorter than most humans. And (laughs) I think it's just in that kind of... You know, like we were talking about this yesterday. Like, if you have a drink and you're like 16 ounces, oh, that's what like a cat. Like, no, it's huge. So I don't think anyone knows what these numbers mean. And it's like, oh, I read a book where they were 120 pounds. So my my beautiful heroine must also be 120 pounds. I mean, you know, I feel like I've had a joke with some of my friends that with male authors are just like, well, what does a woman weigh? 120 pounds. <laughs> But, you know, I feel like always with these female authors, I'm like, what is what is your excuse for doing this? Why are you doing this? Why would you why on earth would you think we need to know the weight of your character, which is uh, one of the things they changed when they reissued Sweet Valley High. Um, They were originally size four. I don't know what size that is in the UK, but very, very, very skinny. And when they updated it, they said, oh, no, now they're now they're size six. So much bigger, so much better. Oh, shit. Because in the ones that I was reading, which were definitely kind of, you know, late 80s, early 90s, they were size six. And I assumed that was UK, which is a size 10, which is, you know, not like it's slim for yeah. sure, but it's not skinny. But if they were a UK size six, oh, God, that changes everything. <laughs> Skeletal girls. Um, what is that book there on that which record? One? Um, oh, this one. Uh, so this is this is uh, a book that I feel like I am the only person on earth who knows about it, probably besides the writer. But um, this is called The Only Bush I Trust Is My Own by Periel Ashenbrand. Wow, great name. Great name. Uh, and it's just, this is a really funny book that I found years ago when I was working uh, at Penguin. It was put out by Penguin. Um, and I think kind of seemed like it didn't, uh, did not... B- become popular on the level they had hoped but it is just nothing really happens in this book but it is so funny <laughs> you know if my kind of book it's real you know she, this is life stories from uh, a woman who's kind of a um, a bohemian academic glamorous layabout in new york city around the turn of the millennium I'm it's kind of eve babbitsy but later yeah and just very 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 funny that sounds awesome. Did you, when you're at Penguin, did you commission any books? Well, here's the funny thing about my time at Penguin. You hear the name Penguin and you think of something very classy and very prestigious. But the reality is that publishing companies have many, many, many sections. I do love the Bojack Horseman joke, yeah, Penguin, Penguin, and how it's like just bare bulbs swinging <laughs> from the ceiling. 
But um, so I worked in a section that was new age and self-help. Oh, fun. So sometimes I was working on books about, you know, how to get over your fear of public speaking. And sometimes it was books about how to do Reiki on yourself. And occasionally it was a book about, you know, are wolfmen real? <laughs> are they? Inconclusive. <laughs> I paid $19.99 for this book and I still don't know if they're real or not. Come on. <laughs> That's the problem with those kind of books. That's the problem with your prominent American ghosts. They can't confirm that any of these things are real. Are there any contemporary writers of the sort of astrology tarot area that you're enjoying or that you're interested in? Um, yeah, one, uh, I would say the biggest uh, astrology writer I'm into right now is a woman named Annabelle Gatt. Oh, she was broadly, she and now was broadly. just regular vice. Yeah, and uh, and she wrote a, a book recently uh, that was sort of the astrology for dating, but um, I find that hers is the only horoscope that I will check all the time, and that is actually, like, feels feels real. <laughs> I do love it at the start of the month, um, and everyone's complaining that Susan Miller is late, because she's always late, I'm and just... you're like... I'm not paying for your app. Why can't you hurry up with my free horoscope, Susan Miller? Come on. I was going to say, years ago, I used to be a Susan Miller girl. And then I was just like, I can't, I can't wait till the middle of the month to find out what's going on. <laughs> Susan is a very, very nice person. But I'm sure she's aware that her horoscopes go up in the middle of the month. Well, that's very worried because on that website, there's always a long description of like how her health is failing. And I'm like, love, please don't, you know, don't, don't put yourself through this. It sounds painful. She is an amazing character. I wish she would just write a book about her life. She is a very, very funny, fun, a real New York character. I interviewed her once on the phone and she was like, I'm in the Dunkin' Donuts where I take all my business calls. Oh, wow. That sounds I hope I didn't awesome. blow up her spot. I hope people, uh -huh. were, not, people were not supposed to know that. Oh, like, you know, yeah, yeah, at least two or three. Yes. Um, I also have to ask you about another non-book mm -hmm. question, which is that Peg Bundy doll on the wall. <laughs> It's, it was, uh, I saw a Peg Bundy doll and I thought, I can't, I can't not buy it. You can't not buy it. I love that it's ages eight plus. Like, I'm not <laughs> sure they quite understand the married with children viewer demographic. <laughs> I mean, I suppose if you wanted to teach your children about married with children, if that was very important for you to educate <laughs> them on this, you would know that if they were eight or older, it would be, it would be safe. They would not choke to death on this box of bonbons. Ah, that's what that is. Yes, or I guess pull off Peg's head and try to eat it. And these, so these are my, these are mostly to-be-reds. I should mention also that I am a frequent and aggressive user of my local coffee shops, take a book, leave a book system. So many of these are finds from that. Oh, you have pre-study. I love that book. I haven't read it yet. I'm very excited to. <gasps> it's great, great fun. And I think that's a really good sort of memoir masterclass because it is so weird and so funny and also what I think is very sweet about it is it's kind of fucked up you know that her when it was like described to him I was like your dad sounds like kind of an asshole but she's actually very I think generous but generous in a sort of knowing way where she's like I understand there are there are problems here but her mum comes out so well that but it is it's so funny and beautiful and funny as well oh I'm so jealous that you get to read that for the first time <laughs> Um, what did I see? Oh, yeah. Philip Roth, The Plot Against America. I've never read any Philip Roth. That looks... I have never read any Philip Roth either. That is definitely from the take a book, leave a book pile. But um... So what, what did you leave last at the Oh, my God. Shop? What have I... What haven't I left? <laughs> I feel like I go to the take a book, leave a book bookcase sometimes, and I'm like, oh, no, these are all my books. <laughs> like, I gave <laughs> I, them all I away. I left books. I've not taken any books. <laughs> Um, can you remember the last book that you brought down there? Uh, let me, oh my goodness, what would it have been? Lately, a lot of my contributions to it, and I feel a little guilty because I feel like there's a sacred trust of the take a book, leave a book, but a lot of it has been mystery novels that I have abandoned midway through because uh, they weren't that interesting. Um, who are your favorites of that genre? Oh, I love, and this is, I feel like, it sounds like I'm lying because there's a ton of French book in my unread pile, um, but ton of French, I think, is my, is my favorite. How hard is it to read for pleasure when you have to read so much research? Oh, it's not, not hard at all. I feel like it's like one of the only ways I know how to experience pleasure. <laughs> I think that's true of all of our guests. <laughs> Let's go back to the shelves. Okay. Um, I see Francis McDormand on the front of High Times. Oh, yes. Okay. So now we're just... 
going into my my doodads. Uh, this is Frances McDormand on the cover of High Times. She looks great. I know. Do they make everyone wear that same pot leaf t-shirt? You know, I would believe that Frances McDormand owned a pot leaf t-shirt. If if any of you have a contact with her, please ask her if she was wearing her own shirt. I'm imagining this DJ where they do the shoot and And there's one slightly stinky shirt on a rail, but everybody's, (laughs) it's okay, I brought my own. It is from May 2003. It was before she knew she would be a uh, famous Oscar winner, so (laughs) she was okay to pose for the cover of High Times. What what would your ill-advised magazine shoot be? They ever have humans on the front of Cat Fancy, or is it just cats? <laughs> oh, they did. They do have humans on the cover of Cat Fancy, which I know because um, Billy Corgan from Smashing Pumpkins, the band from the '90s, uh, was on Cat Fancy a year ago, <laughs> which um, was a big topic of discussion in my household. <laughs> I, I really want to track that down. Was he being interviewed, or was he just? He was. I believe he was being interviewed, but he's also posing on the cover with his his cat or cats. Billy Corgan gets his pussy out. <laughs> Sorry. Who could resist? Who could resist? I, thy neighbor's wife, Gay Telesi. Is he the guy who wrote the book about the weird, the motel? Yes. And the surveillance and the creepy sexy. Yes, and then there were all those questions about who had given consent to what for the story. But yeah, uh, pr- prior to all of that, uh, you know, Gay Telesi was a huge figure in the new journalism uh, scene and. Um, it's one of those, there's some aspirational books on here where I was like, I'm going to become a super smart person one day and want to read these books and not want to read another mystery novel that I found at the free bookshelf <laughs> at the coffee shop. I think that they, they get in your head. I don't think you always need to read them. I think that they, you know, something's just seeps through. But you know, and a lot of the time when you, once you read them, you're like, this is great. Why did I put this off for 10 years? Um, this is a book that it looks like you haven't read, but no. it looks so great. I have to ask you about it. This Gilda Redner. It's always something. That's an amazing picture of her on the front. So for uh, any, any younger listeners who don't know who Gilda is, um, she was one of the original cast members of Saturday Night Live and is just a, a comedic genius and um, someone I was raised to love and revere. And so I've had a total fondness for her my whole life. I actually have another book about Gilda that I think Amazing. you guys might be interested in. Let me find it. So this is um, this is from my childhood, and uh, my mother, for some reason, had like 10 copies of this that she would just give to bewildered children for their birthday who didn't know what they were getting. <laughs> it's the Gilda Radner cut-out paper doll book. And it's an authorized edition. Author- and, you know, she uh, posed for this as all of her characters from Saturday Night Live. And my mother must have bought these on sale at one of those places where they uh, liquidate old books. And so, you know, I loved this, but I was would be humiliated when I would have to attend someone's seventh birthday party in 1990 and go happy birthday here is a book uh from a comedian uh i like but whom you don't know because the trouble with this book which is beautiful and amazing is it's very much for fans isn't it it doesn't really understand why you would love her if you weren't familiar it certainly does not convey it and certainly does not convey it at a level that your average uh seven-year-old would understand. So, uh, yeah, it was pretty unpopular. <laughs> Huge thanks to Gabrielle. Follow her at Gabby underscore Moss on social media. And oh my goodness, you must read Paperback Crush. It is essentially the book version of this podcast. If you've ever hidden a copy of Forever under a pillow, it's the book for you. I'm Daisy Buchanan and I have been your book inspector. Thank you so much for joining me, fellow shelf obsessives. You can find me on Twitter at NotRollerGirl and on Instagram at the Daisy Bee. Say hello, suggest some guests and watch out for shelfies. Visit our show page, acars.com slash booked for more information about our guests and a list of the books they have talked about. If you have any other queries about the podcast, you can email us at whybooked at gmail.com. Your Booked is produced by Dale Shaw for New Alaska and hosted by Acast. Please do subscribe, rate us and leave a review. It's great to hear what you think and it helps other people to find the podcast. For now, I leave you with this on books from Edgar Allan Poe. I intend to put up with nothing that I can put down. See you next time.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.